Come down to the little garden with me. Come go with me. Come go and see. You're listening to SGV Weekly. This is the show all about the San Gabriel Valley and the people who call it home. My name is Chris Greenspawn. My first girlfriend took me to the Pomona Art Walk when I was 15. Back then, it was a pretty big deal. There were still lots of studios downtown, vendors by the fountain, and b-boys in front of the globe. Then she dumped me, because I got clingy. But I kept hanging out there. It was the only place in the SGV to see art, music, and old buildings. Now, it's obvious that the area has been gentrified, though it's still the hood, three blocks in any direction. In the 90s, there was a radical black bookstore on 2nd Street. It eventually evolved into a museum at the Indian Hill Mall. The Tribune mentioned it briefly in an article about Pomona's response to BLM, so I called the museum up to ask about the area's African-American history. Guy answers, says he transferred to Gary High School in 1965, part of a small wave of black migrants. He was way out of place, but it changed his life. When you learn who you are, you develop a particular consciousness. So he never left because he wanted to pass on that consciousness. He taught at Gary for 30 years and watched the black population around him rise and fall. Everybody is woke, right? Some people are are woke just a little bit. I like to think that I'm half awake. That man, Khalif Rashan, is our teacher this week. He and his wife founded the African American Museum of Beginnings to teach black children how to affect their own reparations. Hear about it here on SGV Weekly. Here are three local news stories from the Pasadena Star. Baldwin Park just elected a 26-year-old mayor. Emmanuel Estrada knocked out 20-year incumbent Manuel Lozano by 779 votes. Estrada ran a grassroots campaign to reform Baldwin Park city politics and hire a permanent police chief. He's taking over just as city attorney Robert Tafoya's office has been raided by the FBI on suspicion of cannabis corruption. Outgoing Mayor Lozano is credited with bringing in Walmart, Home Depot, and Harley-Davidson to the community. He says he has a clear conscience about the FBI raid and the many allegations and lawsuits leveled against the city during his tenure. City of Industry is suing private developer San Gabriel Valley Water and Power for allegedly pocketing $5.3 million in taxes meant for a solar project at Thrice Hermanos Ranch. SoCal Edison was hired to design the solar farm, but Edison pulled out in spring 2018 over non-payments by the developer. SGBWP continued to bill industry for six months after. But since 2017, the project has been at a standstill. Residents in Chino Hills and Diamond Bar lobbied against the development, and SGVWP refused to pay $20 million back to industry and forced the venture ahead. Industry didn't find out about the continued non-payment to Edison until filing a lawsuit against the developer. San Gabriel Valley Water and Power has not responded to the investigation. And Pasadena rejected a cannabis retail application filed by MedMen last January because all of the company's executives have since been replaced. MedMen is suing to have the rejection reversed. Their competitor Sweet Flower tipped the city off to MedMen's leadership situation. Pasadena officials say the rejection was in line with their cannabis regulations. 
MedMen already entered a $6.5 million non-terminable 10-year lease before it said the city enacted this rule illegally. The city argued that MedMen's previous executives got a high evaluation from consultants and that the change in leadership negated that score. MedMen questions the rescoring. And that's some of this week's news around the San Gabriel Valley. When we return, we go to a little-known but extremely important museum in Pomona for a dose of Black history and African consciousness. SGV Weekly is supported by Callback Yesterday, a new podcast in which John Raby explores somewhere in time, love, loss, memory, nostalgia, Mackinac Island, and time travel. If you're a secret fan of the movie, which turns 40 this year, own a time machine shaped like a book, and still talk to your dead loved ones, maybe this is the podcast for you. Call back yesterday with John Raby. John urges you to support SGV Weekly with a generous donation, like he did. Does your Instagram feed need more than thirst traps and cheese pools? Follow SGV Weekly for interview clips with everyday people and pictures of the rowdiest cars in the 626. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Rate and review the show to help us get it out there and make a better program for the San Gabriel Valley. Visit sgvweekly.com for expanded content from each episode and a link to our Patreon. Give if you can and support citizen journalism. Thanks. Now back to SGV Weekly. We're at the African American Museum of Beginnings. It's on Holt at the Indian Hill Mall, a block from that 80s bar. You can't see it from the street, but when you step inside, it's very colorful. There are charts and books, statues and masks, but not just from Africa. There's material from Mexico, Hawaii, Austria. This section is the African American Museum of Beginnings world section, meaning the beginning of humanity and into different cultures and civilizations that we don't think of as African. But every part of the globe where the first humans are found, or if you dig and you go deep enough, you'll find the first humans, it's going to be an African person. That's the director, Khalif Rashan. The museum feels like a small maze. It works its way from ancient history through the Middle Ages. The universities of Spain were created by the Moors that came and invaded Spain in 711. And then they were expelled in 1492. Ever been to a bullfight? Ever see a bullfight? Oh yeah, let me show you a bullfight. So this is representative of the reconquista or the reconquering of Spain by the Iberians, original people of Spain. And so the slaying of the bull represents the African that goes back to the Moors that invaded Spain. And eventually the museum takes you through American slavery, Jim Crow, the first civil rights era, and the one we're in now. It ends in a classroom. This is like a supplemental activity that must be done because these particular experiences and these images and different things that have been hidden, they're not hidden in other cultures. People don't have to tell the Chinese people that their children need to know Chinese languages. They understand that they must educate their own people in who they are so that they'll know what to do. 
Rashawn and his wife Victoria founded the Museum of Beginnings in 2011 with the dream that reparations wouldn't come from the U.S. government, but from African Americans learning their roots. It took 45 years to incubate that dream after leaving behind everything he knew. Khalif Rashawn first arrived in Pomona in 1966, not quite willingly. His parents decided to move out of Compton after the Watts Rebellion. Our community was almost 85, 90% African-American. And so as a ninth grader was like, okay, I'm ninth grade getting ready to go to high school and I'm loving it because I can, you know, talk to the girls, I can play sports, I can do all those things that my older siblings did and they seem relatively happy being in the environment that was homogeneous to our people. But we moved to Pomona because my parents looked at the education was the most important thing that I can give my child. So I moved to Pomona, go to Gary High School, and it's like I'd never seen that many white folk, except on TV. Rashawn was the youngest of 12 children, 15 years old. His older sister was about to start college. There weren't any intense reactions to the riots in his family. It seemed like a reasonable occurrence, and he didn't know why they had to leave. We didn't know we were deprived of anything in my household. It was just life. We weren't getting beat by anybody, <laughs> you know, like, and it's not funny, but that's what my ancestors had to worry about. But the beating may have come later because of the lack of education and mass incarceration. He wasn't sure whether Pomona really had better opportunities for him, but he acclimated. As the years went on and these same people that I played sports with and went to parties with, by the time I was a senior, we were pretty much together as far as being able to relate with one another, visit one another in each other's homes or whatever, whatever relationship we had with whoever our friends were, it wasn't a problem. You know, we weren't going to be harassed because we had a group of mixed kids, but there were certain issues that we had to deal with. Like, for example, when it's time for the prom, it's always going to be a white girl that's going to be the queen in the court. Okay, so what the student council came up with was that even though there are a small amount of black students, everyone gets seven votes for who's going to be the queen. Okay, so... Black people would vote in a block. Okay, we want this person. So everybody would vote for that young lady. And so she won a spot on the court. Okay, so, I mean, I thought that was a novel way to show a change toward fairness. But our close-knit class of 1969, we were in an illusion. <laughs> we were in a fantasy land that, hey, the way we get along pretty soon in 25 years, there's not going to be any more racism in America because we had the fantasy that this world was going on everywhere. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> obviously that that didn't pan out. We're a little we're at least um, 25 years behind that particular thing that we're waiting on. Major white flight took place in Pomona slowly over the next few decades. In the meantime, Rashawn attended Laverne College. It was a religious school, Church of the Brethren. On the whole, he says people treated each other with respect. But now in the real world, the veneer of integration was starting to peel. We had a very few black students, maybe 20, 25 on campus at that time in a population of almost 900. And so... 
we were learning how to be around and among our own people. And so some of the questions were, why all you black people sit together? And so, you know, we had to explain that. We feel comfortable with each other. We know each other. We have the same culture. So it's a natural fit. And so the retort was, why you all sit together? Rashawn's consciousness was growing, and he was able to find some support while he was at Laverne. And I went to my first Black student union at Laverne in the chapel. Uh, the students were there, and then there was this white man there. See, I'm, I'm looking at what the struggle was about Black people being self-determined and learning about themselves. And then I see a white man there. I say, ah, that doesn't quite look right. He was the sponsor. And the older students, they said, that's Rodney Davis. He's our sponsor because we don't have any black teachers to sponsor us. Plus, he's cool. He loves us. He's going to take care of what we need to take care of. And it just became a part of the experience at the school. At one point, the Laverne BSU tried to get Angela Davis to speak on campus. The board of trustees said absolutely not. So Rashawn continued to radicalize himself with extracurricular reading. There was one book in particular that left a mark. Malcolm X on Afro-American history. And when I read that as a senior in 1972, it changed my whole world on being able to escape from slavery to freedom, slavery of the mind to freedom of thought. Because in order to bring your consciousness to fruition, you have to know who you are. You have to know that you are an African person. He mentioned that you can't have a negative attitude about your roots and have a positive attitude about yourself. It's impossible. And so you have to go back to Africa. You have to study your history and culture. If you can't go physically to Africa, Go emotionally, educationally, spiritually, and the same thing will happen. You can be free. And so that's what I did my senior project on. Rashawn compiled a survey for his fellow Black students on how they felt about Africa. The BSU sponsor, Rodney Davis, may have played a part in getting the academic advisor to approve the project. This set Rashawn down a lifelong road researching African diaspora and civil rights. But he followed Malcolm X in another way. Is Khalif Rashan your birth name? No, it's not. John Gordon is my birth name. And so I changed my name, not what you would call legally, but it was legal to me, especially when I got the counsel of an older black woman. She said, they didn't pay you any money when they gave you those names. <laughs> so after that, I said, okay, that's a good one. That's good logic. Where'd you choose the name? Well, I chose the name uh, because I met this little boy whose name was Khalif. And he was Palestinian. And I said, oh, that's a, that's a nice name. And then Rashawn, I heard that name. So I said, well, that's, that sounds good. That sounds like me. Were your parents alive? Did they think anything of it? Oh, certainly. It just became what I chose to do. And they probably didn't like it, but they understood, you know, because they came through during the, you know, very, very hard time so that they could understand, you know, that the feeling that I had, the righteous indignation, 
You know, back in the day, fighting the system was simply, at least I could think what I want to. My dad, though, was a very wise man. He said, you know, son, you are changing your name, not necessarily because of what you have learned about yourself. You chose an Arab name. The Arabs, with respect to Africans, have done so many heinous things to African people during the African occupation by Arabs. Why would you do that? My rationale as a young man was, well, you got Muhammad Ali, you Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then there's a list and list and list. But it was not a, a logical argument that could really be substantiated. It was just an emotional choice. Now, he said, for all you know, your name, Gordon, could mean something black. You know, you just don't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's old. You know, he needs a lot of fiber. Rashawn says he found out Gordon actually refers to the African Jewish presence in Scotland during the Middle Ages, the Gorms, which seems oddly fitting considering his own migration. After finishing at Laverne, Rashawn decided to stay in Pomona and give back to the place that had become his home. He pursued a master's degree in education at Azusa Pacific and started teaching in his own Southside neighborhood in 1976. While he taught world history at Gary for three decades, Rashawn tried to impart to his students what colonization really meant to the indigenous. They lose their language. They lose their history. They have to take on someone else's religion. They lose the ability of the men to control the sexuality of the women. They're only trained to work. So I had to give them the idea of what this was. And so then we open the book and we look at, okay, now out of the 46 chapters, I want you to look at chapter 14, which is Africa. Then you have Mexico and then you have South America. And so chapter 14 is a chapter that no one teachers never get to because that's the end of the semester. Then when you come back, you start at the Renaissance. So I try to change their perspective on who they are and what their responsibilities are going to be for the future, okay? That you are here to be free. <laughs> Good thing about my experience there was I was able to hide and teach what I wanted to teach, basically. Rashawn spread African-American consciousness in Pomona for the rest of his career. In 1992, he co-opened a bookstore on 2nd Street called The Nile Garden. One day, the bookstore got an unexpected visit from an old mentor with a proposition that led to the founding of the African-American Museum of Beginnings. And so Rodney Davis tracked me down. And he said, you know, I think you should start an African-American university. And so he planted that seed. And so this museum is going to be the archive and library of that African-American university that was brought to me by my professor who's passed on since then, but I still have that in my mind to complete that last assignment he gave me. And that's probably the second big highlight of my career at Laverne. My first was meeting my wife. His wife, Victoria who's been his collaborator for decades and attended the high school in Compton that he would have gone to. And when I saw her, I had decided that I was going to marry and have tall sons. In 2011, the Rashans opened the museum. 
They're retired now, but they still have it in them to teach black youth about African consciousness. The museum hosts all-day field trips called study tours. Our goal is to have each black student union every year come to the museum and have this lecture. So we're now just now getting to the point to where, and it probably happened this year if it wasn't for COVID, I'll have the buy-in from the school district that this is important. So far in the past decade, the museum has done four study tours. When the bus got here, on the first one we had, they didn't even want to go. They say, we don't want to leave. But Rashawn sees a need to do much more. The last one I did was the scariest because you have a situation within the Black community that I was I heard about. When I first started teaching at Gary, I was listening to a lecture by Naeem Akbar. And he wrote a book called Breaking the Chains of Psychological Slavery. And this was 1985. And he was saying that enslavement of African people is just now starting to do the worst damage to black folk. And I said, that don't sound right to me. And I kept it, you know, I I remembered that. I remembered it. Now, from that 1985 revelation, fast forward back to the last study tour we had. We had about 25 or 30 black kids from one of the schools. And that was the first time that I have ever had a group of kids that wouldn't let me give them the information that I had for them because they were so unruly and rude and out of order. I had to work them, you know, which was a good thing too, because it's a good experience for me to see. And so what Dr. Naeem Akbar said way back then, in between that, you had the crack epidemic, you had the angel dust epidemic, you had the Black boys killing each other in our neighborhoods in Pomona. You had Mexican gangs killing black kids in the neighborhood because of the strife that's going on between the intergroups, you know. So you had a lot going on in the community. Fast forward to 2018 with this group of kids. You walk down Holt Avenue today And we see black women primarily human trafficking. Now, why is that so? Why do you go here? You go to San Bernardino and you have just black women. What's up with that? Going back to that colonialism that we talked about, we have lost the ability for black fathers to take care of black families and the sexuality and the mores that go along with it. And specifically now because you have the mass incarceration of black men. So those women that's on the street, where were their daddies when they were nine and 10 and 14? How come they were not with the girl's mother? There's a lot of dynamics in the destruction of the black family that like Dr. Naeem Akbar said, is just now doing its worst within the community. Okay, so these kids, a lot of them were in foster care. 
I mean, in general, in this community, black kids, Mexican kids, you find a lot of foster care. But with this particular group, I had to tell the teacher, this child and that child, they got to go. They can't stay because they're going to keep other people from learning. So I had to let them go. They couldn't be in here because I can't sacrifice the learning of the whole for two people that can't control themselves. And it was really, really, really sad because it told me that there's a very special need for these children to learn about who they are. So you didn't see much in the gratifying way of what was imparted to those children that day? Oh, thank you for asking that question. Quite the contrary. I substitute teach in Pomona Unified. And so I was able to see the students the next day. And they were saying that they had learned a lot so much that they had to go straight to bed when they got home. <laughs> they were so tired. You know how it is when you get in, in something, because when we have a study tour, it's very, very rigorous. So in a sense, these kids were really stimulated as to who they were and, and the importance of what they experienced here. But it was only for one day. So the plan for the future is to develop weekly programs between Rashawn and the youth. Even though he's retired, even though he's 69 years old and has his own grandchildren. Because to him, that's the only way to affect reparations for African Americans, to do it themselves. 400 years, roughly, it took African people with respect to the American history for us to be right here at this day where these same wrongs and injuries are still taking place. Okay, so it's going to take a couple hundred years at the very least for humans to get the consciousness and find the values and interests of being human. You know, we all do things for values and interests. What am I getting out of it? And I'd even tell my students when I'm teaching them that concept, if I help an old lady across the street, I'm getting something. You know, even if it's just a thank you, Sonny, I do get something out of it, even if it's just the enjoyment of knowing that I'm doing my job, then I'm satisfied. And in the meantime, I just keep on working, you know. We are self-funded. And I substitute teach. I've used, me and my wife have used our retirement funds to create this opportunity for Pomona and everyone. But that's okay, because that's what we're supposed to be doing. But I think that we're getting smarter every year, and so we're getting other people to help. Like, you came to help. I didn't know you were coming. So that's part of the attraction of thinking right and attracting like minds to make sure that people are coming after me. In five to seven years, I'll be doing something else. You know, I'll be maybe in Jamaica, man. But I'll still be teaching someone about consciousness till I die, because that's, I think that's why we're here. Khalif Rashan, executive director and co-founder of the African American Museum of Beginnings in Pomona. The museum is currently packing up to head to a temporary location in North Pomona before it eventually goes to a larger building to serve the greater region. Keep an eye on them at taamb.org.
Thanks for listening. Remember, for right now, we're releasing new shows every two weeks. In December, we go weekly for real. Our theme song is Carry Home by The Gun Club, courtesy of Manifesto Records, and our logo was designed by Felipe Flores. I'm Chris Greenspawn. This is SGV Weekly. So carry home I have returned Through so many highways And so many tears